paid them their money back, right? And mm-hmm. then once you would have paid them their money back, they would have been on dick. So now they're trying to give you five, six, seven, ten, fifteen. You know what I'm saying? Because their whole goal is to get you to start spending money. Right. That's their goal. They want you to spend their money because they make interest off it. They keep offering you shit and you not really spending or you spending it little. They know you got a bag. All right, give me a $100,000 credit card. Guess what I'm going to do every month on it? I'm going to go get gas. I'm going to go get gas twice a week and barely use that bitch. Like, I don't need that shit. Now they trying to hit me with the two, three hundred, four hundred, unlimited, right? Because they want you to spend mm-hmm. the money. That's how they make money off you. But you know what you did? You showed them the niggery. You feel me? You got real niggerish. You got real niggerish, gang. You took the 1500 and you finessed. And guess what they did? They dipped you back down. Oh, What's your credit yeah, score? Tell them your credit score again. It's like a five-something. Ooh, five boy. Something. They didn't only did they... Not only did they dick you down, they, they gave you a disease, too. Yeah, they got down on me. I'm thinking, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I knew it was going to fuck me up in the long run, but you know what I'm saying? It ain't shit to be covered. Yeah. And they did it raw. They fucked you raw, mm-hmm. gang. Yeah, so I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why is this person a millionaire? Why is this person a billionaire? Why is this person driving this? Why is this person living like this? That means something that they know that you don't know. So if you become a student of success, student of billions, student of millions, that's how it's going to open a door for you. You can't be too negative. You can't be... You know what I'm saying? You got to have confidence in yourself about everything that you do. So, me, to you, I'm just saying, be a student, man, to success. Feel me? So, I want to let y'all know a lot of people be DMing you about this, about that. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to really get into details about stuff and you need help on anything, just subscribe to my OnlyFans. You know what I'm saying? There's... There's going to be something on there you you want to know or you need to know that can help you because I just feel like I'm giving y'all secrets to all types of credit ways, primaries, this, that, you know what I'm saying? And I just feel like people just need to know about it, you hear me? So if you want to know, you know what I'm saying, stuff about life and how to get successful and stuff like that, subscribe to my OnlyFans, man, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be in the bio, man. It's going to be, also, go to my Instagram, bandman underscore kevo, my Twitter, bandman kevo, you feel me? Make sure y'all subscribe to my OnlyFans. Turn it up. You have to have people with different characteristics, different strengths, weaknesses, traits, Um, And that really worked out for us at the agency. Um, But at home, it's definitely much more of a struggle um, trying to keep balance. Um, And I don't know if it's just because at home is like 24-7 where, you know, in an op, you get together, you play in the op, everybody does their part, you know, but at home, it's a little bit messier. Yeah. 
So now, I mean, that, that's a huge, a huge change that you made from being a spy in the CIA mm-hmm. or uh, you were a, a kinet- targeter, a kinetic targeter. No, 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 not kinetic. They did not blow people up. Oh, you didn't, you didn't blow people up. <laughs> right. Operational, operational you were, uh, targeter. You were one of the nice. Yeah, <laughs> I was the nice one. <laughs> the, the one that was going to ha- get somebody to come and buy you a drink. Oh, yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> To be our friend and spy, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, so like, what was that like? Was it something in you that happened? Like, was there some sort of some sort of event that made you make that decision of becoming a, a spy to motherhood and family life? So, once we were pregnant. We got pregnant when we were overseas, and then we came back um, right before we had the baby, like a month before we had the baby. Um, Andy was moving into management, so I was always a very behind-the-scenes, like, um, I wanted to just specialize in what I did. I was not interested in moving up the ladder or any of that, Um, but Andy was moving into management, um, and just like I, I'm guessing any place else, like the higher you rise, the more hours you work. Um, we mm. were back in the DC area. There was tons of, you know, commuting time was just huge. And, um, and we were still trying to live our life where we like, we had one car and we had like our, you know, our little apartment, like our kind of minimalistic life. But it was getting harder and harder because he was having to go in early and stay in late. And then I'm stuck alone with the baby um, after I'm working, too. And we're trying to balance daycare and all the things that parents everywhere go through. Um, and I think for for me, because I hadn't really done the critical thinking at that time because I, I had I was in the mindset of like I have arrived and this is what we're going to do and this is what life looks like um, but Andy was like we can do better than this like I am not like, he was not where he wanted to be he wanted to be home with his son he wanted to be on his own time um, and so he was the one that kind of planted the seed of like let's go mm. And I think after several months of having our new baby and having no help because we had no family members in the area, um, we were just on our own trying to balance everything. I was like, you know, moving close to family sounds good. So that's what we decided to do. And he, um, we networked into a private company and started our new life in Florida. Yeah. That's amazing. What's it been like in Florida compared to everywhere else you've been? So I grew up here. <laughs> and funny enough, Andy had to convince me to come back because um, I spent all of like my high school and college years here. So I went to like University of South Florida. I went to Florida State University um, trying to leave I was like, I'm going to be a professional and I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Like, I'm going to where professional people go or whatever. Um, So it was this big thing. And I was like, oh, I got to D.C. I got to the CIA. So when he was like, let's go back to St. Pete. I was like, no, no (laughs) way. (laughs) I was like, we can go to Colorado. Like, let's. Really? 
Yeah, I was like, we can why go. not Florida? Why why were you so against it? It was really just the idea of coming home where I felt like I had achieved. So it was my own personal issues that I had I needed to work through, right? Like I felt like I have achieved and now mm. I'm going taking a step back somehow. It's beneath you. Yeah. <laughs> but since I mean, I'm I'm glad like he he had traveled, so I had traveled the world, but not really the United States, which is kind of mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. He had traveled the United States. So he said the first Christmas I brought him home, it's Christmas time. There's lights on the palm trees. It's 70 degrees, you know, in December. And he was like, from the first moment, he was like, this is it. This is paradise. Um, and so because he has seen so much of the United States, for him to say, you know, St. Pete's the place, I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll do it. And my parents lived here. My sister lives, my entire mom's side of the family lives here. Okay. So I was like, lots of family. St. Pete's not so bad. Mm. Now that we've been back a while, now that we've been back several years, um, I'm really happy. I'm really happy that he had the idea to come back. And I'm really happy that I listened to him he's very smart <laughs> so well don't say that you actually re- you actually you actually regret moving back here and you really can't wait to get the hell out of florida we don't want anybody getting the wrong idea about florida oh, true do not move to st no. petersburg florida sucks go to texas <laughs> oh yeah totally <laughs> everything goes in texas so I just heard go a, there i heard texas is so much better than florida yeah, beautiful you know they got you can, they got they got the new law, the open carry without a oh, permit. Oh my gosh, I've been here. I have just read about that. That's so funny. Yeah. They were like, there's other states too. I'm like, what other states? Yeah. <laughs> Not that it matters because I'll never see the gun, I guess. Well, Texas has the least gun violence, right? Isn't that, isn't that true? I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. I heard it somewhere. I don't know. That's crazy. Do you guys? I think you guys. You think you guys will stay in Florida for a while? Or are you guys gonna get out of here eventually? Or well, so we're waiting for things to open up. We mm-hmm. were overseas when Florida's open. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so funny enough, we were overseas when the pandemic hit, and also tons of psychological testing. Um, you know, what on paper and you know, through exercises to make sure that you are not going to break because not everybody has the mental fortitude to do something like that. Um, So he was saying that, you know, before they go out on a mission, they go out and the team is together and they go through exercises every day to like be in the mindset, to be in practice. And they have psychologists on site um, that they talk to and they like are you know, they are debriefed by and after the mission, they are also debriefed um, and that there's a ton of mental work that goes into that type of work because you have to like you can't, you know, you watch you watch James Bond or Ethan Hawke or whatever, and they have like their issues, but they just kind of bury their emotions. <laughs> like, right. That's not that's not real. Like these people go home to families you know, like mm-hmm. most of the soldiers out there, the you know, intelligence officers, they have families back home. Like you have to be able to reconcile it somehow. You have to find a way. So at the CIA, we have actually in-house um, psychologists and medical staff 
um, that you can talk to if you need to. Um, but it, you, you know, for the, for the Deltas, it was a part of their mission for us. Like you have to know to go talk to them, right? Like you have to be comfortable being vulnerable in those areas because if you are not comfortable being vulnerable and taking care of that yourself that actually becomes a vulnerability for you and in the intelligence industry that's huge like you want to have no vulnerabilities because that's what outside intelligence forces will target does that make sense yeah definitely did you guys when you were out in the field did you guys ever like have any suspicion of you guys being targeted by other agencies foreign agencies uh i wasn't um i think we like, did we it ever felt get dicey pretty secure um i was i was usually in a situation where i felt secure i'm not entirely mm-hmm. certain about andy funny enough when we when we left the agency and we became overt so our cover was rolled back after we left um we there were a couple of times where we met people where we were like mm, like this seems dicey here you know because we were known intelligence officers um so we just kind of you know, did breast practices and they, we were fine. Um, but I think, you know, you're always on alert when you're overseas working for the agency. So, um, you know, I never noticed anything overt that, you know, being approached or being targeted. Um, but you know, even diplomatic officers are targeted sometimes in like countries like Cuba, countries Mm -hmm. like Russia. Right. Mm -hmm. So, have you ever been to Cuba? No, no, and I don't think I ever can. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm kind of sad about it. Yeah. Why? I so there are certain countries that are on a no-go list for me. Okay. Because I think that they are hostile enough to just pick you up. Pick you up, throw you in jail, use you as leverage, you know, stuff that I'm probably the public doesn't normally hear about every once in a while you hear about somebody like so some you know iran picked somebody up as a spy and you're like oh like uh, you should probably just shouldn't have been there Mm -hmm. um yeah so there are definitely there are a handful of countries that i think are too hostile and i think it's too big a risk because we are over just you personally won't go there correct well i mean they're also allowed well, you I mean, technically, we're, also, we're, not, we're not allowed right now. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so there are, are there are certain countries that unless you're assigned there, you don't go to. Um, but they are all the same countries I would not go to now. So <laughs> uh, for all the same reasons, right? I mean, it's just a hostile government. So, like, um, you know, I wouldn't test China right now, Russia, Cuba, Iran. They're just, they're too hostile. You don't know. I mean, all you are are a bargaining chip, right? Like, mm. you show up, they run your name, you know, Some if you pop up on any kind of database that they have or, you know, if you're there long enough that somehow, like, they've, because we're, because our cover's rolled back, we're known, mm. um, you know, all they have to do is pick you up and say, oh, you're spying, so they could find it. they could they could run you like see your passport going to Russia. They could run your background check and they could find out that you were ex CIA. 
possible. You don't know. So that's the issue, right? Because it's intelligence. It's all secret. So I have no idea who knows who Is I that am. your biggest concern? Because you're ex-CIA, that's the reason you yes. don't want to go there? Right? Yes, absolutely. So like my parents went to Russia on a cruise. No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is just because Andy and I are actually overtly former CIA and that's all somebody would need Mm. to pick us up and be like you guys are spies and you guys talk about it on the internet and people know you yep do a lot I wonder if a lot of people from the do most people in the CIA like keep it hush hush after they leave A, a lot of people do um especially if so there's a number of paths you can take when you leave a lot of people contract and go right back in so they just keep everything under um because there's no reason for anybody to know um and then some people when they leave they leave into jobs where they already have something set up like i have Mm. a i have a friend who you know left right into like she you know uh networked with somebody and there was an interesting job that came up so she left the cia to go directly into the job she's had ever since Mm -hmm. no reason for her to roll back her cover um people who stay overseas also don't roll back their cover because it's tricky um if they are like stationed overseas and then leave the agency while still overseas and they feel like they don't have time for that. So yeah. how did how did that happen? Well, she was always there. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing, right? Oh, so y'all been together yeah, for a minute. Yeah. 20 plus, we've been rocking. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she's always been there. Right. But you got to remember, too, I'm not physically going anywhere to do anything. I'm, I'm sitting here at the kitchen table on the computer, right? And I'm giving myself two, three hours to knock some stuff out. And then I got the rest of the day to do whatever. I've always kept that sense of I don't want to just be 24-7 hustling. Mm. Right? I've always kept that mentality. I'm a I'm a hustle. But when I'm hustling, I'm giving it 2,000%. But when I cut it off, now I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm Jay White. First thing love, I'm, I'm out here. You so, really work three, four hours a day? Might be like five. What does a normal day look like for you in terms of business, in terms of work? Uh, Reviewing invoices, reviewing proposals. But now I'm on the the teaching side. So now I'm just following up with some of my students. They might have some issues or Mm. some questions or whatever the case may be. Looking towards the next thing. I got real estate deals too. So uh, like I said, I just like to knock out everything within three to four hours. Five tops. After that, man, I got to chill. Mm, that is a lifestyle right there. Well, bro. why work hard if throughout the day you're going to work all day? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we make good money and we do certain things in the beginning. So, on the back half, now we can kind of autopilot and coast it. I, mm. I ain't nobody still trying to work eight hours a day, nine hours a day. I might well get a job for real. In the beginning, it probably you probably spent more time, right? Because I was learning. Yeah, you didn't I don't, know. I don't got it down yeah. pat. Like, like you said, I don't know. I think I should be looking at this this long. I yeah. think I should wake up early and not go to sleep. Like I'm right, thinking, right. this is how I need to operate, right? 
But once I got to a certain point, I'm like, man, I'm going to bed, man. I'm right. good. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, for me, it took marriage for that because uh, it, when it just left to my own devices, I'm going to work all day, every mm. day because... One, it's what I'm so accustomed to doing. Okay. Like, you spend years just grinding and working. Like, when you're not working, something's wrong. That's how I feel. But it took me getting married to say, okay, I need to try to wrap up by 5 o'clock, get home by 6. Mm. And what I realized is when I had less time to be productive, I was more productive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Instead mm-hmm. of like, because some people, they're going to quit their job and they're like, yo, I'm going to grind all day. Yeah. But if you got, if you can build something in those windows of time. And, con- and concentrated. concentrated. And then you super, super heavy because everything you're doing in that time is intentional. You're not wasting a second because you got a hard stop or a cutoff time, right? So your three hours, your four hours, or your five to six o'clock, you're going to go hard. Because you know you got a stopping point. Yeah. Still, every second count. Are you still actively, like, getting contracts? Going for contracts? Yeah, man. We won uh, two this month. So, so so far already, I won six this year. Really? Yeah. But they were sole source. I didn't have to bid. They called me. They said, hey, mm. can you purchase this product for us? When did, like, they start, when did they start? When did they start calling you? Hmm. Probably like 2017. That was real pivotal. Gotcha. Around 2017, yeah. Oh, so then you didn't really have to apply for no contracts. Right. Just- I don't got to bid no more. Now if I bid, it's just to, you know, stay current. So when I'm teaching people, I, I got the, real-time estimation. The, yeah. I like the fact that you're still actively in the game. Because yeah. most people, they'll, they're not in the game anymore. Right. They're just teaching. But From the fact the- that... They're talking from yesteryear. Exactly. And that information ain't always up to date or valid. Because everything changes. Yeah, and it can't help me out today. So I I speak a lot to the people that, you know, they got all these side hustles. They got all this stuff on the table, but they just like, you know what? I'm going to give this federal government contracting a try. Mm -hmm. And once they tap in, they're like, all right, I'm going to just do this now. Right, right, right. So it's a good feeling, man. So you said six contracts this year. Yeah. uh, Or in two this month. Yeah. Tell me about the two. Because you said they were talking about ordering a product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they wanted to order 150 iPads. It was something real light. That's what I understand. Why (laughs) do they just call Apple? They lazy. That's what I be trying to tell people. The federal government lazy. They can do all this stuff themselves. However, they're mandated. That's this. I call them lazy, but they're mandated to give small businesses, minorities, women-owned, service-disabled veterans. They're mandated to give us a certain percentage of contracts. Are you, are you minority certified? A minority. A woman-owned, right? Is your wife 51%? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what was you about to say, bro? What was you, you was about to say something. Documentation got to read well, right? Documentation has to read well. So 51% woman-owned, small business, minority, veteran-owned. I was in the Coast Guard for uh, 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Do you have, did you do that certification yourself? Because, bro, I've... It's terrible, ain't it? Terrible. It's terrible. Yes, I did it myself. But I'm good on the phone. 
I'm telling you, like, I'm, I I'm like, to just do it for me, bro. I'm amazing on the phone. So I had a lady on the phone the whole time I was filling the thing up. The whole time. Because I was like, oh, I can't I can't do this. I'm frustrated. I'm, I can't figure it out. I'm like going in on her. She like, calm down. I'm going to help you. I said, are you going to help me for the duration? Like, right, I right, need right. you. <laughs> and she helped me. She helped me out. Do you, do you give resources, like, in, like for your students on how to get that certification? Yeah, you. I have to, man, because, all right, here's the first thing. I teach my students certifications don't win you contracts. Mm. I mean, that's just a fact. They don't win you contracts. However, comma, they do help you get into a smaller room to bid against less competition. Case mm-hmm. hand out as needy, you know what I'm saying? So most of the time, that's what people, like if it's a street guy, they looking for, if they got bags and they looking for niggas to sign, they looking for stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? So on the other end, as far as labels, they more look for younger shorties who they can kind of fuck over. You know what I'm saying? That's the new game right now. When you too smart, they don't really be wanting too much to deal with you because it's like, you too smart. <laughs> but we can get this little 17, 16, 15-year-old nigga that we can blow him up big and really check a bag off his ass because he don't know nothing about nothing. $50,000 is like $500,000 to him, a million dollars to him, you know what I'm saying? Get his ass a few little chains and then shit, let him do a show, but we gonna make majority of all the money off his this, off that, this, that. They basically just sucking the motherfucker dry, but they gonna make him super, super famous. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you see a lot of people that that's real famous, that's younger, not real, real rich. They don't be really rich. You know what I'm saying? You just be like, damn, I thought this person was like rich, rich, but nah, because the labels is getting rich as fuck off this person, but they spoon feeding them, you know what I mean? So you just got to have your paperwork in order. You got to have your management in order. You got to have your account in order. You have to have your lawyer on retainer. You know what I'm saying? You have to, um, you got to have, if you ASCAP and uh, BMI shit together, you know what I'm saying? And it's basically just about, Nigga, fuck you, nigga. Think y'all gonna scare me and tell me about what y'all gonna do to me? You rape my mama. That's been fuck you, Muslim nigga. You nigga been pedophile for the long. You nigga been pedophile as long as your religion been in existence, nigga. You nigga been fucking babies and boys and goats and 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 queers as long as Islam been in religion, bitch. I, I used to be one of you niggas, and I and I refused to stop eating pork. So I said, "Fuck you, niggas." Cause I, listen, I sold barbecue four years ago, and the Muslim niggas used to come through playing like they can taste pork. So one day, I cut the motherfucking chopped beef with pulled pork and served it to Muslim niggas, unbeknownst to them. They didn't know they was eating pork. They were chewing that motherfucking pork. Them motherfucking Muslim can't tell when they taste the motherfucking pork. So I sold them nigga pork for all summer long. Yeah, nigga, now sue me. Yeah, I sold pork 
So I cut the chopped beef with pulled pork all summer long, and not one goddamn Muslim could tell the difference. Because all them bitches is sneaking and eating pork. Or if they ain't eating pork, they suck pussy, so they taste buds is thrown off to the pork. Yeah, them I, I feel good sneaking and selling them niggas $10 chopped beef sandwiches with that pulled pork cut up in it, nigga. Straight disrespecting you, nigga. Yeah, get mad about that, nigga. I did that five years ago. Bitch ass nigga. Yeah, go try to skirt me on the internet. All you niggas trying to skirt me on the internet. Catch a plane, nigga, and show up in person and make everybody in the city say, say, them niggas out of New York City looking for you, nigga. Say, it's the niggas out of California asking about you. Do that, nigga, bad motherfucker. Make Farrakhan have a million man march down here. He ain't done nothing in a while, no way, for he getting too old anyway. Yeah, he getting too old. And Facebook don't want to hit a motherfucker. Y'all don't know what to do. You can't listen to him. Yeah, we sick of that old nigga anyway. We want to hear from NBA young boy. Don't nobody want to hear shit from Farrakhan. We want to hear from Fujiano. We don't want to hear shit from no goddamn Muslim, nigga. You nigga can't rap. <laughs> yeah, you nigga stick to provide security at the funerals. And, and shaking down rappers. But don't nobody want to hear shit no nigga talking about thumping no Quran. Nigga, we want to hear from Lil Baby. We don't want to hear from you bitch ass Muslim nigga. So shut up, Farrakhan. Don't go inside and talk. Don't come out here and talk. It's a new day, Farrakhan. And don't nobody want to hear no shit about no spaceship go come rescue all us niggas. If a spaceship come right now, I ain't getting on no motherfucking spaceship with no Muslim niggas. I don't trust no Muslim. Mother didn't trust you nigga. I don't trust no nigga that don't eat bacon. And all our life, we was trained and brought up to eat bacon. Any nigga don't eat bacon and suck pussy is an oxymoron to me. Period point blank. I nigga gonna give up bacon instead of putting his motherfucking head between the whole leg and suck up pussy. Nigga, fuck you, nigga. And all you niggas do it. All you Muslim niggas do it. Go quit the pole and suck the pussy. You stupid. You dumb. You ignorant. Fuck you. And fuck your religion, nigga. Yeah, nigga, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't believe none of you niggas is bad enough to come do nothing to me and let the world see that y'all pussies to the white boy. Y'all didn't do nothing for Tamir Rice. Y'all didn't do nothing for Breonna Taylor. You bitch-ass niggas, Muslim niggas, didn't do nothing for Breonna Taylor. Y'all didn't do nothing for Eric Garner. Y'all let the white boy choke the big old nigga out. The big old nigga got his hands up. He's supposed to be throwing elbows. This old big nigga. Bigger than he was, he let the little bitty white boy jump on his back. Them ain't the kind of nigga we are down here. Them ain't the kind of niggas we are. We ain't just laying now. George Floyd is in Indianapolis. He just laid there and let the nigga put his knee on his neck. Nigga, fishes flop out of water. You ever seen a fish when you get him in the boat? He flopping like a motherfucker. He want to get back in the water. Fuck, that nigga didn't want to live. Don't fiend that nigga. Yeah, the nigga was a dope friend. 
showed the whole video. I saw the nigga swallow dope. The white folk one line on that nigga, the nigga had fentanyl in his system. That's a dope fiend, ain't it? The nigga died with fentanyl in the system. And the best thing could have happened to him is for him to die. The nigga left his daughter 20 million. That nigga could have lived to be 100 years old. He wouldn't have been able to leave his daughter 20 million. He couldn't have never been able to leave his pretty little daughter 20 million. They done that baby a favor. He wasn't shit. The nigga was in and out of jail. The nigga kicked in a door. Boom. That nigga kicked in a motherfucking door. And put a gun to a black woman's belly while she was pregnant. Robbing them. How you know that ain't his fate? He wasn't trying to redeem that. He went to making porn with white bitches. The nigga was a porn star with white bitches. So let me tell you something, Stack Five. Basketball playing ass nigga. Big old tall nigga. Fuck your brother, nigga. And fuck you too, nigga. Say, listen, if he was your brother or he was your nigga, what in the fuck that nigga was doing downtown in Indianapolis with a fake $20 bill? You must have loved that nigga that much. Nigga, I got some people I can go get $20 for, nigga, and I ain't got to go try to pass no $20 bill with no dope fiend nigga and no dope fiend bitch. That <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all see how icy a nigga is, though, man. When I want to look at myself, man, I just look at myself in the mirror, though, man. You know what I'm talking about? Make sure I look that. I got to look presentable. You hear me? So I look at myself. I got to make sure everything on point, man. You know what I'm talking about? And I do cool, it. See, I got my feet. I got my feet out of everything, folks. You feel me? I ain't capping. I'm back here, though, man. You know what I'm saying? I wish they had a look. And if I get hungry, like I'm, I'm down there finna go get me some root crisps or something, right? So what I do, right? These, these, these same way, these the same thing that come on a plane. So you know what I'm saying? You, whoop, you feel me? I put my root crisps right here. Start blowing. You feel me? I put the root crisps right here. Why the seat massager? You hear me? And go crazy. <laughs> oh, I ain't faking. But yeah, this is what we do though, man. You know what I'm saying? I got the headphones in there. If you if you wanna, if y'all wanna join me one of these days, you know what I'm saying? Hop in the car with me. We out of here, man. You know what I'm talking about? This is spaceship gang. We ain't doing no faking. Oh yeah, show the teeth. We ain't doing no faking. Yeah, I ain't capping. You weird? There's a remote back in here though, man. We ain't doing no capping. Done. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. You know what messages do you be trying to get out there? Oh, uh, right now, homie, on the internet, I'm all I'm all character, right? I'm all character and entertainment. <coughs> Excuse me. In real life, uh, I really work with children, and I ain't got to be a character, right? The character just expanded my platform. So, uh, 10 years I've been working in the community, 
Nigga, now I'm just, uh, now I'm like what they call, I'm retiring. I'm burnt out. <laughs> now, uh, I'm transitioning from being a community guy to entertainment character, YouTube, uh, comedian. And while I'm doing this, connecting people to programs as I travel from city to city. Uh, and people like yourself, hey man, you know anybody work with youth programs? Here I got the youth program. So somebody interview me, homie. They don't just get a, a interview. They get a guy that can give you youth program to help this person over here. Uh, we got a trucking company. You know somebody with a trucking. You know so. Uh, so now, nah, homie, right now I'm just playing for the for the movie deal I done got. Uh, so this shit done went Hollywood and and and, and entertainment and celebrity now. So, uh, fuck the community, my people, shit. Nigga, I did it for 10 years. I'm tired. I'm ready to retire. Let another motherfucker take over. Plus, motherfuckers like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, them niggas died broke with that community shit. Everybody talking that my community shit. Undergraduate and graduate institution. We should be indifferent to where you went to school. We should only care about how you ranked. Because it's so, if it's so devastating to be anything in, in anything other than the top third of your class, I don't want you if you weren't in the top third of your class, right? Now, I'm being playful a little bit here. But the point is that we have, do you see how we have allocated our strengths and our, our, our notion of what is an advantage and what is a disadvantage are allocated in an irrational way? We've we have, we've become obsessed with the advantages of prestige, but we have not paid attention to the disadvantages of prestige. And that's a mistake. Some people seem to get motivated by being surrounded by people smarter than they are, right? So that's well, not, sort of... Not economics PhDs, apparently. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I would have... I, intuitively, I agree with you. Right? I want to find reasons to like elite institutions. All my friends went to elite institutions. Should I have children? I would want them to go to elite institutions. You know, we're all powerfully. But the problem is that when we go and systematically look for those advantages, we can't find them. So there's a long, I don't go into my book, but there's a long and rich tradition um, in economics um, in which people hunt for the value of an elite of an elite education, and they can't find it, right? So we know that uh, it is the case that a student who goes to Harvard earns money, more money in the course of their career than a student who goes to the University of Tennessee. Okay, but that doesn't tell you anything at all. What you really need to do is to find two students, both of whom go to get into Harvard, one of whom goes and one goes to the University of Tennessee and then see what, compare their career earnings. And when you equalize for the person, you can't find any difference. In other words, it's not that, that Harvard is making you earn a lot of money. It's the kind of person who gets accepted by Harvard makes a lot of money, right? And then there's an even cleverer line of thing, which there's now been like 10 studies on this, and it's so interesting, which is, they now look at elite high schools. So 
what is the benefit of going to a selective high school? Now, intuitively, you would think there, it must show up. There must be some, you must be able to see whether in test scores or the quality of the college you go to or somewhere we must see some impact of that. And we can't find, uh, we can't find any advantage. It just, everything seems to, once you do that equalization thing, um, uh, you, if you are a smart kid, in other words, it doesn't matter what school you go to. Um, you'll, you know, smart is smart. Um, which is an intriguing um, finding. What do you need? Thank you. Um, I want to switch topics a little bit. Um, you know, you do a remarkable job of popularizing uh, social sciences. And uh, by the way, I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Prasad Sethi. I'm part of People Operations, and I lead the analytics group, which is composed of many social scientists. Uh, who, who love the fact that uh, Malcolm's work and uh, you know gets gets their kind of thinking into the public limelight? Um, how do you distill and aggregate all of this research that's done in the social sciences and come up with what you think are the most uh, cogent arguments? Because uh, as you mentioned, there are lots of studies done on similar topics, and some of them are. Uh, point towards one direction, others point towards a different direction, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're looking for trends in the research. Um, and so, for example, the studies I was just mentioning about trying to measure the value of elite schools, that's a very clear trend. And you've got a cluster of studies that have been done in the last two or three years using pretty rich data sets that are all coming to roughly the same conclusion. So when you see that, that's the sort of thing I'm looking for, is what you want to steer clear of are the one really wacky study that is sitting all by itself. Um, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just you have to be approaching with more caution. But um, there's no shortage. I mean, the thing that's fascinating about being a sort of a student of academic research is that um, the number of things that on an academic level are being ideas that are being um, pursued and conclusions that are being drawn that are quite dramatically at odds with conventional wisdom is enormous. There, if you're in the game of, in other words, looking in academic research for ways to challenge the way we think about things, there's an embarrassment of riches out there. I mean, it's not hard to do. So um, to me, what always amazes me is how much um, fascinating and useful material um, lies buried in academia. It just never sees a lot of day because no one uh, bothers to go and and write about it and popularize it. I mean, it's astounding how, you know, if you talk to academics, they have the list of things that they think that the rest of the world is doing long. It's like, it's like this long, right? Um, so it's like, it's, 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 it's not a very difficult process to, 
um, to, to this one. Yeah. Um, related question, uh, you use a lot of stories to bring your thoughts to life. And the stories add a lot of emotional richness, and you can really connect with them. Uh, but how do you how do you ensure very very hierarchical way, or you can choose not to. Um, the other thing that it would tell you is it would it would say something about whether about the size of teams as well. I mean, it would seem to argue. I would think, um, although maybe not. It says it's really about the structure of of teams that to the extent that you can keep things that um, that are as flat as possible, I think you minimize the damage caused by um, hierarchies. Hi, thanks for coming to speak. So I just started in people operations about a month ago, and since I've been here, I've had a lot of people recommend uh, Strength Finder and other books like that. And I've taken a look at it, and I can't help but think that Things like that are kind of, uh, as the great skeptic James Randi said, flim-flam, mm -hmm. um, or like modern-day uh, pseudo-social science. And I'm wondering what if you have any insight into those, because I know companies spend a lot of money buying those kinds of books for their yeah. employees. I have, uh, I have to confess I've never read any of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, um, I know that they're very successful. Um, in, sell, in sales or in it's, what they set out to in do? In sales. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> um, but I, I guess I would only say it, it should, it's interesting, though, that there is such a hunger for that kind of thing. You know, people, I always say this, people are experience rich and theory poor, mm -hmm. that most people necessarily um, lack access to organizing principles in their life. Um, if you're not immersed in the world of academia and you don't have the leisure to produce, to follow and acquire grand theories, you don't have theories to explain things. So whenever there is someone comes along with an explanatory mechanism for something that is that you're experience rich in, it's enormously attractive. Um, so that you know, if that's a lousy, if Strength Finder is lousy, it's incumbent on us just to come up with better and more sophisticated ways of, um, but it's, it's clear that there is a massive demand for something um, to allow people to organize their experience. Hey, Malcolm, my name is Mike. Thanks for being here. Um, my question is kind of going back to the value of elite institutions again. Um, so, so you talk about how someone who goes to Harvard, someone who goes to University of Tennessee, they are intrinsically going to do the same if they're, um, you know, on the same intelligence level. So I guess my question is, you know, you hear you're kind of the average of the five people you hang around. You surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You will naturally elevate your level. Do you believe in that or do you believe that's kind of you know, it seems like your theory is, is kind of uh, puts the merits towards that, you know, yeah. thought process. Well, there's a, so a couple of things. One is that um, one of the implications of that argument is that there are a lot more very able people at um, non-elite institutions than we think. And actually, this is kind of a fascinating thing. So to take a step backwards, 
the larger question is, how efficient are elite educational institutions um, in as search engines for talent? What percentage of the of qualified students do they actually uncover and and the answer is we used to think they were very efficient. What we have discovered recently is they're actually quite inefficient. In other words, enormous numbers of very, very intellectually capable people never even come close to the 250 top colleges in the country. So non-selective colleges have a much larger share of, uh, of the intellectual aristocracy than we would imagine. So that's so, so to your question, if you go to the University of Tennessee, you can find lots and lots and lots of very, very intellectually capable people to hang around with. And you probably will grab, if you are that kid who could have gone to Harvard, you will probably gravitate to those five. The difference being that, so you'll be surrounded by peers who maybe every bit is able. The difference is that you will almost certainly be the top of your class as opposed to running the risk of being in the middle of the bottom. So you're getting two um, benefits, intellectual benefits, as opposed to maybe only one. Um, the other thing, of course, is that, uh, well, I'll leave it at that. There are many, many parallel arguments along these lines. Now, of course, not everyone can follow this strategy. If everyone does it, it ceases to work, right? <laughs> everyone can't go down a notch or... <laughs> so the whole thing is, I, if you're going to follow the strategy, do it quick before I sell too many books <laughs> and the advantage is wiped out. But, uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. So you said in response to a previous question that it would be useful to eliminate some hierarchy so that you get rid of this problem of people being at the bottom. But how do we know that's the bigger issue as opposed to it's just a great boost to people when they are at the top? And if that was the predominating factor, then maybe we should just have more awards or more way to recognize people. Oh, I see. Oh, you mean have a kind of pretend hierarchy where you <laughs> give everyone a pat on the back? Or maybe we should have even more levels of hierarchy. Oh, I see. Well, but the, you know, the, um, so the classic study, I have to see if I got this right. The classic study in this regard, which I talk about in the book, is this famous study that was done in this, the largest psychological study ever in the United States was done during the Second World War of American soldiers. And one of the most interesting insights was a comparison of, um, uh, of commissioned officers in the Air Force, the Air Corps, the precursor to the Air Force, and commissioned officers in the military police. And the question was, who was more satisfied with, uh, um, with their promotion prospects, the openness of their uh, institution to rewarding talent? be in this person's life and deal with this person in order to get valuable intelligence from them. Right. Because that was super interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me personally, part of that's like, what's the greater good here? Right. Like maybe you're dealing with this horrible person, but what are they giving you for the greater good? I think on the other hand, like most people, so I worked with a lot of refugees and there are 
absolutely horrendous stories about what happens to people who become refugees before they become refugees, right? So you read all these horrendous stories of like child soldiers and, you know, like neighbors turning on neighbors and rape being used as a weapon of war. And you're like, like there are so many scenarios out there that the average person who lives a comfortable life does not even, like cannot even comprehend and when you're in a scenario where essentially every decision is would be considered a bad decision, where like in your black and white, it's all black, you still have to choose. And you have to be comfortable with whatever that choice is. Like you can't just stand there. You have to make a choice. So... You can't put everything into a good and bad bucket. There's a giant gray area of, um, you know, like if if I have to choose between, (laughs) between dealing with like some kind of horrible person who has ties to terrorism and I know that they are going to be able to give me information that stops an attack that saves 50 lives... Like, you're going to give that dude money. You're going to take him out. Like, you're going to be friends with him because he has the ability to do good on the other end, whether he knows it or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like, those are the real-life choices. That's what happens in real life. I think that when you are living... I mean, and I, I live a comfortable life. I just happen to have had the exposure, right? I think when you're living a comfortable life and you're not exposed to the, like, to the realities that are out there, it's easy to judge. It's easy to judge and be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Okay, well, when you are in these situations and you're standing there and you have to make the decision, let's see what your decision actually is, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to change I think your idea, like you have to shift from what's right and wrong to what is the objective, right? Especially mm-hmm. when you're doing stuff for the for the government, like military, CIA, um, like what is the objective here? What is the mission here and how do you accomplish that? It's not about what do I personally think is right and wrong? How do you obtain your objective? How do you complete your mission? Because that mission is serving all of us. Right. Like whether we know it or not, there are missions happening right now that maybe we would disagree with, but they're serving us. They're protecting us. Right. So. Yeah, I, t- I had a one guy on here who was uh, he was a a drone pilot. Yeah. It, it, for flying those drones over Yemen, those killer yeah. drones, and he was like, he was recruited by I believe it was the Air Force that was uh, that was heading that program. But he was said he was like nineteen years old, eighteen yeah. years old, and and they were having him pull the trigger on these drones that were blowing up, you know, people, yep. and can, yep. him being eighteen years old, watching people get ex, you know blown up yep. in countries like Yemen or whatever, and mm-hmm. it scarred him. I mean, it really messed his head up. Yeah having to make those decisions and or whether he was making the decisions or not he's probably following orders like pulling the trigger on those drones and and watching these people suffer like on the Mm -hmm. watching the infrared camera these people like crawling and bleeding and yep 
Yeah, that and stuff so, can be terrifying to you, like so, to any any human. Right, and think about like like all the people involved in that decision, mm-hmm. right? So he was pulling the trigger, so he probably felt directly responsible. But there's a chain of command, right? There are other people making that decision. Mm-hmm. People who found that location to target, like the guy in charge who makes the decision to target it, who like people who know that that house might have the guy's kids in it. Mm. Do we target or not? Right? Like there are, there are, there are tons of people who are involved in this decision and it, there are so many factors that weigh in. Right. And I, I don't, it's, it's, it's a sad reality. Right. Like I, I don't advocate collateral damage and war but it happens and it's a reality and people have to make those decisions war is not clean it's just unfortunate and i um when we were working uh we were working in the middle east and i was working with a delta force guy and he was the nicest guy ever like a family man he um he had actually like his own nonprofit that like helped women learn self-defense and just the nicest guy. And he was teaching this triage class and starts telling this story about, you know, missions where he went in, like his missions were specifically to go in and kill people, right? Like, you and your team are going to go into this place. You are going to kill the people there. Like, you know, very close range shooting or hand-to-hand combat. Like, telling stories about team members that he lost on those missions. Um, and so I asked, I asked them, I was like, what kind of psychological care do they give you? Because there's no way. So for the CIA, they do a ton of psychological testing beforehand yes before they hire you so i'm assuming that part of all the special forces is this policies that are made Mm -hmm. and you know how effective they are yeah and i think it was it might have been part of uh one of snowden's recent documentaries where he mentioned Mm -hmm. that yeah and it's definitely i mean i believe in checks and balances right and i think that there should be checks and balances in place there should be reviews in place I think sometimes that either doesn't happen or it goes, you know, there's just too much um, pressure, um, like the whole, uh, you know, waterboarding. Um, you know, and I, there, I don't agree with everything the government does, but. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it is kind of interesting that he is in russia right now and he's living like normally (laughs) in russia i mean do you think there's some sort of like weird leverage thing going on between russia and the united states by by russia Mm -hmm. letting him stay there my guess is that they he my guess is that he knew enough leaving that it was worth them keeping him so I mean, it's not—it's not like it's going to ruin the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. He's like in the grand scheme of things a small potato, but he having him there and having his knowledge, 
you know, is beneficial for Russia. Like, they can spend years asking him questions about things. Right. Because he lives there, and they've given him... Is he a citizen now? I think so. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but... So, yeah, it's it's in their best interest. It's like no skin 